Aloha, and welcome to SUP FM, the podcast for stand-up paddleboarders everywhere. So with no further ado, let's get out on the water and on with the show. Here are your hosts, Nick and Simon. Aloha, Simon. How are you doing? I'm absolutely wonderful. Um, I'm really looking forward to this week's episode. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Aloha, actually, because Kristen Thomas this week, she used to listen to our podcast back in 2015, and she giggled with delight at the fact that I didn't like Aloha. Actually, no, she didn't. She was, Nick, come on, what's wrong with Aloha? It's such an amazing concept. Um, why don't you like it? And um, you've you've um, persuaded me to love the whole Aloha spirit, and uh, and I don't feel like an idiot saying it anymore. So that's oh, great brilliant. news. Well, I, th- I think we need to add in Mahalo as well. I think that's the next step. I'd... I'd... <laughs> Um, I've just, just written an art- it- yeah I've just written an article for Supmag um, UK and uh, woven in a mahalo to all of our guests in there so uh, there's definitely something massive to be said for you know the Hawaiian uh, approach and the Polynesian approach to paddling which uh, we owe so much to yeah and our guests we can call them our ohana as well can't we if we really wanted to we could do we could do we could do it's um yeah i mean it, it anyway it, it, it's great and, and part of the the thing about um stand up paddling is um giving back to the industry and and helping other paddlers and uh we're shortly going to be launching our course aren't we nick yes because we're both really concerned about water safety because there's so many new paddlers on the water and um a lot of people don't really know what to do in the beginning and it's so nice to be able to help them and guide them and show them a few tips and pointers um, because it's a very involved thing actually water safety and it's not boring at all it's quite a lot of fun so once you get to understand the elements you'll feel so much more at home out there on the water whether it's a river an ocean or a lake so that's coming soon to supfm.show we'll tell you all about that it's really exciting stuff and uh, don't forget to pick up for free our list of apps and sites that we use to plan our trips we've used these sites and apps for years and they're hugely useful so uh, get on over to supfm.show uh, enter your email address and you'll get that emailed to you absolutely free yeah, that's great. So that's a little way of trying to give back to everybody out there because we really want to help you guys have a much better SUP experience. But somebody else who's given back a lot to SUP, I mean, she started stand-up paddling in, back in 2010, is Kristen Thomas. And uh, she's been through, she was there when it all was happening in the Battle of the Paddle and uh, what that became the Pacific Paddle Games. And she's right there in the heart of it in California. And she's a founding executive member of the Stand-Up Paddle Industry Association. So, yeah, Kristen Thomas has been around and she's been through it all. And uh, it's really fascinating interviewing her and chatting to her also about her relationship with SUP Connect, which is one of the biggest brands online regarding Stand Up Paddle. So here she is, Kristen Thomas. Kristen, thanks so much for joining us on the SUP FM podcast. It's great to have you. We've been sort of mildly in touch over the years on Facebook, and it's great to finally hear your voice. Well, thanks for having me. What a privilege. Oh, it's a pleasure. So I've managed to figure out that your home beach is Laguna Beach, right in the thick of LA. And her, well, how many people live there? 18 million well, people. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because, yes, I guess we are in that part of that metropolis, but we never think of ourselves as Angelinos. We're 60 miles to the south, but we're also 60 miles to the north of San Diego. But you are right that we have a huge population in this area. Just our little county, Orange County, in between the two big cities and counties, um, has 4 million people, um, 4 million in Los Angeles City, over 10 in the county, another, I think, four or five down in San Diego. So yes, we are in the land of many, many people. <laughs> no kidding. Wow. <It's> a, <laughs> and uh, it must be difficult to find a piece of water to paddle on. Are there, are there lots of paddlers? Well, that's there are lots of paddlers, and this is, as you know, um, definitely a hub of stand-up paddleboarding, Southern California. But um, like like you in Portugal, we have the ocean, so the Pacific Ocean, I would say, is definitely our major um, water access. And I'm lucky to live in a town. Um, actually, they they say that this is a lot like Cape Town. We have a lot of South Africans who live here in my town. It's a very hilly coastal right. town. Yeah. So um, Bay. 
bays, harbors. Uh, we don't have a lot of rivers and lakes. We have kind of reservoirs, but actually Southern California is a, a desert. I don't know if you've ever read about water controversies, but we, uh, we borrow water from Northern California and the Colorado River. <laughs> All right. So what is a real issue for you guys? It can be, yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's very similar. As you said, um, Cape Town um, has also has a Mediterranean region like you guys have in Southern California, and so does Adelaide in Australia, as obviously does the Mediterranean because it's named after Mediterranean region. So I think we're in pretty similar vegetation areas and, and uh, climatic areas. Yeah, but we do absolutely find the water, and um, I think having ocean access, you know, there's so many ways, of course, to to enjoy stand-up paddleboarding, but um, ocean is really a special one and definitely um, – in the racing aspect that I'm really involved with, it has been a huge uh, benefit to be on the water and to be able to experience a variety of conditions because we definitely in race have a variety of conditions and of course surfing. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the best part about it. I mean, for me personally, should we go back a little bit to um, to back to your university days? Why did you choose uh, San Luis Obispo? Um, that's uh, California is an, an amazing state in the United States, and if you're not familiar with it, pretty diverse. So even though it's only a, you know four hours up the road, um, it was much more rural. Um, I definitely wasn't ready for a big city. I've actually never lived in a city. And then, so it's this wonderful college town. And uh, believe it or not, I was a math science female. And in the 70s, I was told that you should be an engineer. So it's a, a polytechnic university. So I started off in engineering. I actually did not stay in engineering, but absolutely love the beautiful town. It's very outdoorsy and accessible and you can ride your bike anywhere. Um, Morro Bay is the coastal town right near it, which I didn't stand up paddle. Of course, it wasn't around back then, but um, definitely had water access. Um, and I, uh, I swam in college. Um, so I was on the swim team there a few okay. years, a so, few decades ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so was that your, your so the majority of your sporting background? Was it swimming? Competitive swimming definitely was the start. Um, I have my inspiration is my mother, who was actually very involved in water ballet, synchronized swimming, and I think she had hoped my sister and I would go that direction. We did did not. There wasn't a team close by. She, um, I like to say, she helped get it in the Olympics, although it was decades after she went on a tour of Europe for the sixty. 60- Olympics in Europe to showcase the sport. And then in, I don't think it got into the Olympics till 84. But um, yeah, swimming, uh, teaching, swimming, pool lifeguarding, um, pre-marriage and kids, it was windsurfing. That was kind of the 80s sport. Took a break while I was having children, didn't really get to do a water sport. Learned to surf when my children were young with a bunch of women who we couldn't believe we lived coastally and didn't know how to surf. Uh, those were my surf mamas, we called each other. Everybody changed their work and kids' schedules to learn how to surf um, down at Santa Monica. Brilliant, Humphrey, that's which the way to pretty, do it. Yeah, pretty iconic place. But we cleared our Wednesday mornings and went down there fairly regularly. Even took some surf trips. Um, we had to explain, though, that we were looking for happy waves, that we weren't looking for the biggest waves. It was very interesting because there's kind of surf has this like, ah, you know, kind of more aggressive male. I'm looking for the biggest waves out there kind of thing. It uh, does, doesn't it? And that's what um, I find the difference between SUP and surf culture and, and the people who are involved in it. It's like, yeah, generally surf, surfers are quite aggressive and very local. You know, localism is rife. Yeah, and, yeah. And suppers are just more chilled and open, more natural, yeah. Yeah, if I could ask you a question, I think I mentioned to you, I loved your podcast back from um, 15. You did um, a whole series with uh, Simon. And um, your intro, from the very first one, I went back and listened, and I remembered that you don't like using the word aloha. Do you still feel that way? (laughs) No, I I love it. (laughs) (laughs) You still feel I that. feel like but aloha I, is such a great word for sub because it does still have that community, come one, come all. I want you to learn how to do this thing that I love so much. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I, even though I know it's a Hawaiian word, I think it very much, just, I actually collect, I have aloha A from Canada, a t-shirt. I have aloha y'all from <laughs> uh, the other side. <laughs> so it has been That's adopted brilliant. and I, um, I hope we can hang on to that part of stand-up paddling. Supposedly surfing was like that in at some point where it was a family thing, where it was, um, I want to teach you and share, and it wasn't as much the localism. And don't get me wrong, you and I love surfing, but there's certain aspects of surfing I hope we don't adopt, and you named them. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But no, I've definitely uh, come to understand more about Aloha and Ohana, and uh, and it's a beautiful concept. It really is. So 
I was just kind of joking with Simon in those days because uh-huh. he would always do it. <laughs> so we actually brought it into our, our intro, and it's that guy saying "Aloha," which you know, everyone's probably just heard. It appears that the epicenter of SUP quickly moved from Hawaii to California in about what 2007, 2008. Were you paddling in those days? And do you remember the first time you you even saw a board and jumped on one? Yeah, I I saw one probably in 2008, and um, one uh, um, a friend in town here had one, and that's you know when we had kids and went down to the beach just locally. It took two people to carry that big old layered monster down to, to the water, but um, he was very generous and let people share it. And I thought, oh, this is really this is really fun. This is different. You know, I've always enjoyed the water and water sports, and I just saw so much potential, but didn't. Uh, then one time surfing at San Onofre, another couple came by again at that Ohana that just, we were instant family when we were interested in what they were doing. They jumped off their boards, took our surfboards, let us try their stand-up paddle boards. So I was really wanting one in 2009, um, asked for one for Christmas, didn't get one. Immediately, January 2010, you know, started looking for one. I had kind of a, my husband is not a water person, uh, love him dearly, but <laughs> uh, kind of gave me a yeah, price I got the same limit. problem. My, um, <laughs> yeah. My, I love him, my wife dearly, but she's also yes. not a water person. So Yeah. So um, there, he didn't have that same fire I had. I just had different ideas, but I got super lucky because happened to go to a warehouse in San Clemente um, and talk to this guy who was, ends up, he was the owner. He was heading for a trade show, ironically, because I ended up going to a lot of trade shows in the last decade. Um, His name's Rick Carr, owner of Rogue, gave me fantastic advice because of course I thought I wanted a board that did everything. Oh, I might just surf and I might exercise and I might da da da. And so he explained, you know, depending what you get into, you're going to want something more specialized, but this 11-2 all arounder will serve your purpose well. He he gave me a leash, um, which I think was great, you know, started off safely right off the bat. And he told me about a race that was three weeks later at the end of January in San Diego. Well, I didn't have anybody to paddle with. I just started paddling around the harbor um, and in, in a full wetsuit, I'll have you, because I didn't know any better and it was winter. So uh, yeah. until somebody yelled at me, hey, lady, <laughs> I haven't seen you fall in in days. <laughs> and I realized, I think I lost 10 pounds, though, because oof, I was sweating like you nobody's business. But um, sure. Hano Hano yeah. in uh, San Diego, which still goes to this day, it was a race of other watercraft that, that invited stand-up paddle in early. And um, so I started racing. I thought that was the best way to go figure out what I was doing, see if it was something I liked doing as a former competitor. I loved the idea of some competition, of getting back in shape. My, uh, I had one in college and two high school children, so it was kind of good timing in that I was going to be able to maybe have some more time for myself after, you know, again, my chosen mm-hmm. path and loved being a parent and working. But I thought that's, you know, as they're leaving, I might get back, reclaim some of that me time and uh, stand-up paddling was going to be it. I was so instantly hooked and then... You mentioned Ohana, but I met wonderful people, ran into somebody I'd gone to high school with and just had fantastic times. Who, who were the main players that, that you were mixing with in those competitions in the early days? Yeah. Was it sort of Chuck Patterson and those guys? Absolutely. Well, again, Southern California, you mentioned the Hawaii transition. I don't know that it left Hawaii. It's just, as you mentioned before, we have a huge population in Southern California. Um, but yeah, we had layered is credited with bringing it over. But then we had Mickey Munoz and, and Ron House and these shapers and people who were making stuff in those, you know, before I was in it in 2007, 2009, and even earlier. Um, but yes, absolutely. We had those first top people. A lot of them lived here. Um, Brandy Baxick, um, she's queen of Outrigger now, but used to be a top stand-up paddler. Um, EJ, Rob Rojas. Um, but what a fantastic community. And again, I was by myself at Dana Point just our next town to the south where I um, train out of that harbor. It's a small harbor, but boy, it has produced a lot of um, sup racers and stand-up paddle people and having surfing nearby. So we have many of those iconic early uh, stand-up paddlers. And of course, Dana Point is the home of what was originally Battle of the Paddle um, and then kind of transitioned into the Pacific Paddle Games that we still hope we will be able to somehow um, revive. We're in very strange times right now, and um, we lost it even before this. But uh, yeah, California is a funky, interesting place. But amazing people, amazing places, and just huge number of races in Southern California. So it's difficult to pick a race. I mean, if you think about the Battle of the Paddle that seems to stand out from across the pond over here, it seems to stand out as the, one of the most incredible racing events of all time in Paddle. So did you did you actually race in that? Yes, absolutely. Um, 
So what would have been the first time, 2000, yeah, I think I did 10, that that first time. But I was, um, one thing I did at that first race is I had a decent camera. And um, if you remember the early ones, there was a chicane, there was a run. Um, So here are these, I mean, there's a huge crowd on the beach, but I got a great spot right where people ran in. And I took pictures of everyone. And there were, as you said, even in that time, um, was that the third year, I believe? Uh, people from all over the world were already coming to this. It really was the big for early first kind of international race. Um, and they had, you know, the the top ones were in their yellow jersey. So they are running up, which is really challenging. At least I find it the running when there's running added, but really keeps it very interesting. So the crowd was able to see where people were in their place. And sometimes the places people jockeyed in that little short run um, before they dove back onto their boards. Uh, but I took pictures of everyone. And somehow that, the way Facebook worked, you to tag those photos, you had to be friends. So I swear I, <laughs> I had a few friend thousand everywhere. friends from around the world <laughs> because um, and really got linked up into stand-up paddle boarding more internationally um, through the hundreds of pictures that I took. Because sometimes it's just the top people who get all the photo attention, under, you know, understandably. But I just was in that good spot and got pictures of everyone and they loved um, seeing themselves. But boy, watching that, that was the first kind of in awe of um, the in and out of the waves. Uh, that's just always a really interesting race. Uh, yeah, and some and some years are apparently like really big waves as well. Um, so it yeah, it's, it's amazing because it, uh, Doheny in Dana Point is known as this wonderful place to learn to surf. It really is a fairly forgiving wave. It's a nice, uh, you know, mushy, it's not a hollow wave. So that has always been a good thing, that if there is going to be wave races, I think it's nice when they do it in a place but somehow it's not known for being super consistent, but somehow that September, October date always um, produces, almost always, we've had a couple flat years, but mostly um, bigger than usual, which um, yes, adds to the excitement. There was a distance race, of course, too, but I, I was in all of the Battle of the Paddles from 2010 until it became Pacific Paddle Games and then uh, participated in all but one of those Um Actually, ironically, it's because we took a wonderful trip to Portugal that I missed one of the Pacific Paddle Games. Well, that's a <laughs> You're good a beautiful excuse. country. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it was a But there's not much excuse. going on here as far as races go. I mean, no, normally all the races are further north of, uh, of where I live down in the south. Um, so Which is unfortunate, to... I think. Yes, you do, because your country is absolutely gorgeous. And I think Portugal yeah. would be such a great place for um Especially, I mean, people really look for the, not everyone I know, because because it is definitely a challenge, but that in and out of the waves type of race is more challenging to put on, but definitely um, adds, I know a lot of people care about the spectator thing and um, makes it more interesting um, and definitely is uh, an added challenge that I think is really fun. Yeah. I mean, I used to do a, um, put on a race every year. Um, it wasn't really a race. It was more like a fun paddle. It was a 32-kilometer paddle down the river, which formed the border with Spain and the eastern border of Portugal. And it was a beautiful paddle. And, yeah, and it was great. And it was getting really popular. And then it's just, it was just really hard to carry on organizing. You know, just Okay, well, let's get you some help, everybody out there. <laughs> I think that sounds like a fantastic event. And and you mentioned, I mean, as much as I'm just absolutely a junkie about racing and I love it and I am, uh, somebody said, are you going to burn yourself out? I said, no, it's only been a decade. Plus I'm older. I just feel like I don't have the opportunity to burn out if I, I want to do this as long as I can. <laughs> and, you know, people do things like Outrigger for decades. Why can't I stand up paddle race? And maybe we'll actually get master's divisions as I get older for those older categories. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I remember interviewing Chase Kostelitz a while in 2015, and I said to him, how do you think we can promote the sport more? And he said, just get out there and organize a little race, you know, just do it with your friends and get and get more races going. So it's probably a best way to do it. Would you, would you use that advice as well? Yes, I think so. But also you mentioned it was less of a race and more of just a paddle. I mean, I think it's so important. Uh, we have so much organizing to still do in stand-up paddleboarding on so many levels, but we, if we don't build the base and continue to get people into stand-up paddleboarding, then we're not going to have more people racing. You know, it, it, it flows into each other. And you and I are so involved in the niches of, you know, we forget sometimes it's subsurfing and sub racing and uh, now there's subfoiling and, and whitewater. Those are really specific things that m- the majority, at least in the United States, uh, stats are over 90% are just recreational stand-up paddleboarders and are, sh- are just boarders. They're 
enjoying it for the pure bliss of being outside in nature, for the exercise, for that, that connection. There's so many reasons. So I think transitional type races slash events slash adventures are, are super important. And there's a lot more people once we get through this, this COVID thing uh, that want to travel and want to go new places. And um, I certainly aspire to get over to Europe and do um, your event that you're going to have again. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> others. Okay, we'll start that up again. <laughs> well, if you help me, we'll start that up again. Because it was uh, people were flying in from all over Europe. And there's similar events. Obviously, Paris has... Um, has been hugely popular and is now part of the APP World Tour, which that was that was quite a unique event. And then in Greece, there was the Corinth Canal that people were doing as well. So, and also in, in the Thames Marathon in London. So, there's lots of these really cool marathons going on around Europe. But uh, anyway, let's get back. Um, I just want to ask you a couple of quick questions about yourself before we move on to Sub Connect. Um, how do you find the time to coach as well? Because you're you're a sub coach, right? Yeah. Um, very little. So, um, I appreciate that you found that I, um, just recently, actually a few months ago, major transition in work. So that's where the, um, KT outside came. I am doing a lot of little things. As you mentioned, I'm doing uh, for SupConnect live interviews. Um, I am an assistant coach. I, but most of the time I am more the student in my training group, but Anthony Vela has an amazing program performance paddling. And I am one of I'm his replacement when he's off doing actually APP tour events because he often runs the events and is often a um, uh, speaker host there. So I can't say that's full-time. At the very beginning, 2010 through 2012, my first sponsor was called Sup Love. Do you remember that company? Yes, I remember them well. Not around anymore. Yeah, wonderful Australian company. So um, I worked with them, and so I did a lot of teaching and workshops and things then because people said, you know, who were the experts? It's so new. <laughs> they were yeah. having people asking them to send someone. So I got to do some great travel within the U.S. Um, and do some teaching and training then. So I did quite a bit then. And then I got a little more selfish and um, focused more on my racing uh, and wanted to spend my extra time when I wasn't working. So um, working uh, in the educational field, I think you mentioned that that's, that is where... Um, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, I did become a teacher, not an engineer, um, taught for a year, then went to UCLA to get my graduate degree and finish up my teacher training. So I've everything was in the world of education uh, as a teacher and then a technology specialist, which cracks, it just makes me laugh because technology changes so fast. Uh, part of that is I taught in the Silicon Valley and with parents who uh, were at Apple Computer and we had all kinds of amazing technology. And then... Wow. Um, when I was having children, that must have been an exciting for, time. Yeah, yeah, it was. Worked for um, nonprofit in the educational world, and then had my own um, as an educational consultant, which is kind of a college counselor here in the U.S., where we have a strange si system of transition, <laughs> and we don't have free school, so there's a lot of things to balance out. So that's what I was doing when I first um, started paddling. So the coaching again is fairly new, as as. Um, as is the other things that are under that sort of banner of KT outside. I didn't know what to call all the little bits and pieces I was doing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so had to come KT up outside. with it. Yeah, there you go. It's an expansive <laughs> title, yeah, which is great. So does this also include taking people on, on traveling sub travel trips? Yes, which of course right now in these strange times, uh, in fact, we have a November trip still on the calendar but because it's out of country, even though it's our neighboring country, Mexico, uh, we're just hoping it will work out because it um, it's a wonderful little town, Sayulita. Have you heard of it? We actually have had quite a bit of stand-up activity there, including racing. Um, I and the ISA Worlds were there. Yep, there. yep, yep. I don't know if Shelby and, and Bicho Jimenez, um, a couple, two sub racers who are now young parents, um, I met down there, went to their wedding. Anyway, I've been down there multiple times. So Yes. So go guiding is a new thing. I do think that uh, travel and stand-up paddling is just once we get through this and can travel more again, it's going to explode now, um, at least in the US. And I don't know if it's true where you are. They're expecting to see a lot more uh, local travel, driving trips, road trips, uh, as travel starts to open before people start flying other places. Absolutely. And people are sort of opting more for eco lodges and tented accommodation rather than just massive big concrete hotels, which is wonderful. Yeah. And it's the, the flip side of this sad situation. Of course, people are dying and there's nothing that's very serious, but 
it, this is fantastic for the outdoors. I live right at the top of a, of a bike trail. I live up a hill and um, I have never seen in our 26 years living here as many people hiking and biking. And we're getting anecdotally from the shops that their sales, those that have been able to reopen are through the roof and their rentals. Yeah. So people have really, I think those who didn't exercise have really connected with the outdoors because it's all that they could do. They needed to get outside the house and we expect, um, they're expecting camping. It, you just mentioned that to go through the roof. So a lot of outdoor activity and stand up paddling is going to be one of those. It's naturally socially distant because you're separate and you're on an individual craft. Um, so we're actually having interesting conversations because they lump us with all sports and all sports aren't the same because, um, many, you know, you're in contact and kind of can't be, you know, done in a healthy way right now, but stand up paddleboarding can. Can we shift gears into SUP Connect? Let's. Because SUP Connect is probably one of the biggest brands on the internet um, regarding stand up paddle. You've hosted a ton of Instagram live interviews, which I caught the one with Fiona Wilde, which was fantastic. Oh, for, thank um, you. Isn't she lovely? Oh. <laughs> She's we amazing. Some, yeah, she was really uh, cool. Great, great people in stand up paddleboarding. I think you might have interviewed her back in 15, did you? No, I interviewed her, what, a couple of uh, last month, actually. And, oh, that's um, right. She that's was right. wonderful. Yeah, yeah. She was great. So, how did you get connected with SubConnect? So, I'm not, SubConnect is not mine, but my very good friend, Andre Niemeyer, um, is it, who I've known for a decade now. Um, definitely, actually, what he started with in 2007, he had an online presence, just a really smart guy, um, and super passionate about surfing and stand-up. But first, he had my local lineup, um, is what he had, and it, it, it had grown tremendously from 2007 over three years. And then he really got hooked into stand-up. I think he was sponsored surfer Rusty, I believe. Um, and he got into stand-up and started SubConnect, um, I believe, around 2009 or 10. And yeah, it was really, I mean, their their mission um, is your connection to stand-up paddleboarding. They're, just with my local lineup, I mean, he knows how all those things that I don't, you know, Google, like, he's always the one that we can ask about SEO Google statistics. And, and yes, yep, yeah. yep, yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he just knew how all of that worked. I mean, he had more of an online presence in three years on my local lineup than Surfing Magazine did. So I think he was early into really understanding how all that worked. So it's always been online, but it was definitely really focused on the stand-up paddle community. And at the beginning, that was definitely surfing and racing because he was involved with both and channel crossings in Hawaii. So it definitely had a, a Hawaii SoCal vibe at the beginning, I think. But then he really um, has, he's always been really insightful, Andre, about um, predicting and seeing what's coming. And he saw that expansion of the sport into, you know, new frontiers, new waterways. Um, so SubConnect really followed that. So it's very international. They definitely have a following from all over. And um, I don't know, I didn't ask him numbers, but a huge following all over. And they've done a number of things. They're doing awards right now. They um, put out, you know, both newsletter-wise oh, yeah, and they online are. They're doing platforms. Awards every year. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So they start with a voting popularity thing. But then um, I like that they really have kind of expansive awards because there's, there's the individuals and there's the stores. So they have the business side as well as um, – and it's not just racing. I mean, he they definitely haven't, if you read what they're looking for, um, it's more that mm -hmm. outreach and aloha and a, and a number of different factors. That's great. The, oh, it's an amazing, amazing thing. Yeah. And then Ali, the editor, she's amazing as well. It's been very super uh, helpful with, with us over here in SAP-FM. So when I've written some articles for them, she was very helpful and posts them. Does she run the show now? Um, that's a good question. She um, she is absolutely fantastic, and that's who I work with also. So, um, yeah, the hosting the shows, um, I, again, I think there were a few people who, who jumped in, and I think it was a perfect time for both what, um, what I've been doing live interviews, wonderful format like this, the podcasts. Um, there's quite a few people doing it. As of the end of March, was no longer the executive director, had a lot of changes, and we can talk about that in a second, but... Um, the next day, Andre <laughs> contacted me and he said, well, since you have a little more time, how about you do get these uh, interviews going for us? So um, I jumped in kind of as a friend with two feet because I had no idea how to do an Instagram live, but um, it's not super complicated. You just have to trust the process and jump in. Um, I'm sure you and Simon had some of that from the beginning um, in being early we podcasters. Did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Instagram live was great. 
was amazing and, and watching um watching your interviews is great so did anything go wrong in those interviews because when it's live i mean you know you've got a whole different at least yeah. this is recorded i can edit it once up. in it's a while fun. i try to make sure like uh, definitely, and hate to overgeneralize, but the younger generation absolutely get social media and kind of look at us sideways, having children in their late 20s and 30s, like, mom, <laughs> what's, that's not hard. <laughs> but um, I have well, had some people- What are you doing people, on Instagram Live, mom? Yeah. They're kind of in the wrong place, or they think you're coming to their Instagram, or you think they're going to invite you, and they need to be there on that Instagram Live for me to be able to invite them in to, to that split screen format. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, but I've even on my own tried a couple things. I just did a, a zoom cause I want to do more panel discussion. So this isn't with SupConnect, but I did a, a zoom group talking about sup youth in racing and then made it go live on Facebook. So again, just Googling how to do things and jumping in and doing them. But yeah, so finding, I think that's been the biggest tricky part. One time I had to actually stop the interview and go, you know, text them, find out, oh, they're in the wrong place, you know, get them to the right place and restart. So that has been probably the worst. And then also getting cut off. Didn't know there was a time limit. Yeah. Definitely at one oh, right. hour, a time... it's I'm... off. I didn't know that either. No, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we can drop a link in the show notes to the, I think they're all on YouTube as well. So we can yeah. drop a link to so, all those. But yes, I would say Ali is mostly in charge, but Andre is still very, very involved. But he, I9 Media, there is a parent company that's Andre's and he does do amazing marketing and other things outside of our industry. So he is a very, very busy man and has three young children and um, does mountain biking as well as surfing and stuff and everything. So busy guy. And he's, Allie is just fantastic to work with. And she has all of those media skills that young people seem to have. I swear inherently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen Andre Nima on, on quite a few YouTube videos and things like that. But um, another important organization you work for is the SUPIA. Who knew that a SUPIA is an odd doll that people appear to put makeup on is quite a thing. Did you? <laughs> we did not know that or we would not have named it that. Yeah, that that is such an interesting one because definitely my background was not um, industry associations or um, which in the United States is under the umbrella of not-for-profits, but it's not a charity organization. It's considered a business league. So I was asked by, and this is the intertwining of the whole community, Andre Niemeyer and another friend, uh, Mike Muir, who at that point was the president of Riviera, another company that unfortunately isn't with us anymore, but um, he was the only non-family member that was a family business, to um, start this organization. And I said, you know, why me to start with? Um, I don't have a background in business. I'm an educator. I have my own practice as an educational consultant. Um, they learned that they actually didn't realize I had a job, but <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of had a year transition when they asked me, I said, well, this sounds interesting. I'm absolutely a sub addict. I would love to work in the sub world. So they asked me to, to start it and create a job for myself. Basically, they had been trying for two years and just they're just, everybody was too busy as volunteers to get it started. Um, so they got some volunteer time out of me to help get it started, figure out what the paperwork was. We found a lawyer to give us some pro bono time to do the paperwork. A big thing in our very litigious country is you have to do everything, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. the right way, file the right forms. And um, yeah, we just, again, and I still think one of my passions within the SUP industry, or not just the industry, and in stand-up paddleboarding is is getting us all organized and getting us together because one of the most beautiful things about stand-up paddleboarding being the most versatile watercraft that's out there also makes it the most complicated. You know, we really have ties to the kayak and canoe side of things, to the surf side of things. We are independent as a successful type of business. We also have all kinds of people interested in it who don't have water backgrounds, who just are looking for the dollar and the bottom line. And that's certainly true now as we see like, you know, online straight out of China, no offense, I shouldn't say that, but, um, you know, things that don't have a brand that's supported. So um, organizing the industry sounded super interesting. I had been a director of a nonprofit. So that was one of the main reasons they asked me, um, Mm -hmm. but in a whole different world uh, to help get it started. And I became the executive director. So the only employee for many years. Okay. So did it, did you get involved between the problems between the Canoe Federation and the Surf Association, the ISA, Surfing Association, when in, in sort of, because I think um, for the, for those of people out there who don't know that stand up paddle is kind of 
caught in the middle between the two. I mean, initially it was it was a surfing sport, and then the canoe federations thought, "Hang on, you guys are using a paddle. Well, this is our sport," and they started fighting about it. Is that is that a sort of fair to sum it up that way? Um, yes, I think that's fair, and it's still um, actually. If you're interested, or anybody listening, we're working on a letter to the court of arbitration because it was heard last fall, supposedly this this uh, debate between the two of them. And it's a very interesting discussion because it's a discussion we have a lot in the industry association, the very specific, because it's about the Olympics and racing, that's not really directly under the SUPIA, the industry association, but it absolutely, the trickle down effect of this decision is very important. So a lot of us feel it needs to be released because we need to move forward. It affects manufacturing, it affects racing, it affects how we look at ourselves. The strange thing for a lot of us is that most of us don't know a whole lot of people involved in that whole, um, there are a few people I know, but uh, controversy. Um, And again, Mm -hmm. we thank the ISA and the ICF for all they have done for racing. So I will say personally, I'm super involved and interested in the direction. I've, um, uh, because of where I live, I've been in ISA trials, they had a master's division. So I, you know, I can say I'm a, the winner of an ISA. I actually got to go to the ICF uh, in China and oh, wow. I am a technical official. I think I'm the first in the US for the ICF. So I want to know both sides. I jokingly told them, you know, I'm not picking sides by doing this. Um, yeah, and they both have, there. they both have a valid argument, but then I personally, and some of us feel like it will be interesting to see how this plays out because in both directions, we lose something. I think stand-up paddleboarding needs to stand on its own personally, but we're very young. And how do we bring everybody together? Uh, for instance, if we go the direction of, of ICF and the Olympic pursuit, uh, where, where does surfing fit into that? Where does subsurfing fit into that? And if we go the other direction with surf, it's very ocean oriented. That's great. That's the, you know, at the pro level, definitely we have a lot of that. And I would say there's a lot of interest in that direction, but they're very young and new and are just getting into the Olympics. Will they be able to stick with it and bring us with them? And where do things like, uh, we have a lot of whitewater actually inland us, Colorado, how does how does whitewater stand up paddle racing fit into that? It will be gone probably. So both sides potentially could lose something. Both sides, there is no promise of getting us in the Olympics. We are an add on to what they already have going, and in my opinion, that's kind of an uncomfortable place to be. So in some ways, leading ourselves there would be great. But you know, Nick, it would probably take twenty years to get in the Olympics if we are really trying to mm-hmm. start from scratch. We don't have a strong international organization that's just about standard paddle racing. We don't have individual country. uh, A lot of them have associated with one or the other if there is an organization in a country. You have an interest. Portugal, I find fascinating because super strong in both the ICF and the ISA. You have surfing, but you also have a very strong culture of canoe and kayak. And we do fit the definition of both because we're standing on a board, but we have a paddle in hand facing forward. And that's the definition the ICF uses that all forward-facing paddlecraft are under their umbrella. So, interesting. It's a complex conversation, but obviously, you know, you've been you've not you've not been there, but your mother's been there taking uh, was it taking um, synchronized swimming from the, in the sixties to when nineteen eighty four when they were actually yeah finally... she didn't stay involved with it, but she was on a team touring and showing, it. and that just so I think that made me realize early it can take a long time to get into the Olympics, and we've kind of had stand up paddling in general has grown just meteoric rise, you know, and exponential growth, both in the business side. Um, There's definitely was a leveling. um, Part of why um, I no longer work for the SUP Industry Association, but now I'm a member of the board of directors is uh, we kind of, there was a heyday in the industry. uh, And the top of that sort of huge growth was around uh, 2016, 17. Then we saw some companies folding um, definitely a slowdown in some areas like ours of the, the racing. It's definitely not gone. It's just reorganization. Um, sadly, as an industry association, we really tried to put out the warnings about that, that, that you know, exponential growth just doesn't last forever. Um, so there was a lot of, in the, from the business side of overproduction and that kind of flooded the market. And um, then we've had these really strange things like what's happening now. Our funding in the industry association is based on, um, a lot on trade shows and trade shows are a whole question mark, not only because of not happening now with COVID, but we had 
a couple of them that were shut down because of hurricanes in the U.S. Uh, we were hoping to grow um, big enough to, uh, you know, I would have loved to go to, you have some great ones in uh, Germany, some trade shows that um, I think would have been neat to really connect the whole the whole U.S. But uh, we're still still going strong, but um, on, a, on a more minimal budget. Well, one of the pillars of Sapaya's research, right? So how can we get into some stats? Do you have any stats? How many, because it's always a very interesting question. I ask everybody, how many stand-up paddlers are there in the world? And no one has any idea. And sadly, I would love to be able to tell you that. But um, <laughs> again, a couple of years ago, we didn't, There, it's such a, you know, catch 22 that we didn't have the funding. We've never had huge funding, so we could never go and do every research company we talked to wanted 20,000 up front. Well, we never had a budget like that. So we worked very hard to try to do um, quite a bit of research. So from 2012 through 18, 17, we have really some great research, but the last couple of years we have not been able to, and we know that it's still growing. Um, we do count somewhat on the Outdoor Industry Association. For get, they do participation in all outdoor activities in North America. They give us some good numbers because stand-up paddling is included in that. The American Canoe Association actually got a grant and jumped in and joined them. So uh, not clear participation numbers. Um, we need to work on okay. that. You know, <laughs> but, I mean, obviously it's a very difficult thing to work out, um, but the ISA has come across, I think a couple of years ago, they, they released some statistics saying between 17 and 35 million surfers in the world. Do you think, in your opinion, that there are less or more stand-up paddlers than that? Oh, it's really hard to say how they identify. I want to say, I mean, if we don't yet, we will eventually have more than surfing because surfing is very specific. It's a, uh, a more challenging skill. Um, but the main thing, of course, is that you need waves and it's coastal for the most part. You can, of course, surf behind a wake or surf a river wave, uh, but it's limited in so many ways and stand-up paddle boarding is not limited. Any water, anywhere, and anyone can stand-up paddle board if they have the right equipment. Um, that's, again, the beautiful thing about it, but the complicated thing. So we don't always, people don't always identify. There's also a huge trend in kind of millennials and then earlier, the next generation to not be specifically about one activity or one sport the way our generation is known for that we get heavily into something and we, you know, especially if you're an early adopter, you're buying all the equipment. Well, they're looking at wanting to do many things. They're wanting the experience. So there's a lot more renting going on and not necessarily owning. And as our population grows, you know, where do you put that large piece of equipment like a stand-up paddleboard? Thus the, actually in Europe, you've always had a, and Asia also, high number of inflatables. That's finally coming to the US. We had such a hardboard culture, especially on the coast. So I don't know if we're quite there to the numbers of surfers, especially uh, the high number that ISA put out. But um, I think we're right in there. And we definitely will eventually have more stand-up paddleboarders than we will surfers. But Sounds defining like it. Million. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, uh, yeah. Okay. It's let's go with million. your number. Let's start, yeah. Let's do that. Okay. Nick said 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and I have no idea, guys. So that's just a, yeah. But it is interesting. And, and you were talking about a surge in popularity from probably, you know, a strong exponential growth from 2010 up to 2016, 17, and then a little bit of a plateau. And I don't know, I feel from talking to everybody that there's obviously a massive surge right now as people are coming out of lockdown whether that's going to be just a little blip on the radar or quite a big uptick. I mean, I know some guys in Hawaii are just, you know, selling out of paddle boards because it just yes. can't produce enough. Yes. No, all, um, we have a little monthly call called Shop Talk with shops. And the last two months, we actually have to put it on hold, even though there's good discussions because it's such a strange time. But people are so busy figuring out how to work as they're allowed by different um, entities, you know, state, local, have different rules in the U.S. and and nationally, uh, we won't get into politics, um, <laughs> but they just are like trying to figure out how to keep up with the demand and some who are rentals are, are starting to sell. And um, I think it's not just a, a little blip. I think people really, new people are discovering or rediscovering the outdoors and it's a safer place to be in terms of communicable diseases um, spread out on the on the open ocean. I mean, I, if I didn't have the Pacific Ocean, I couldn't live in Southern California as you start, we started this conversation talking about population. It is my escape. Um, absolutely. I'm addicted to being 
in on or around the water and uh, stand up paddleboarding affords that. So I don't think it's just a little blip. It's just uh, the business side of it, the industry association. Definitely, they're still shuffling and working out as as uh, we talked about millennials and trends and and people buying direct rather than buying from you know the the known companies that support you know whether it's advertising in our sub media or um, ho- sponsoring events. Uh, there's less of that right now, but that doesn't mean that base isn't growing. So. I'm excited about uh, the future and for stand-up paddleboarding. It's it's only I think we I see nothing but growth, and it never stopped growing, even though the industry was has struggled a little bit, and it has a trickle down. Um, people were finding it, and let's keep enjoying it and working at it and bringing more people into the fold. Absolutely, because the more people who are outside, the more people understand the massive problems with pollution. But that's a whole other conversation. Oh yes. Love that. In fact, I'm sorry that I don't quite fit your July mode, but I feel so strongly about this. Uh, it's what is it called? Anti-plastics month or stop no, using plastic, plastic free month. July. I think plastic it is. free yeah. July. That's it. So yeah. I love that you are hosting those that are um, working hard in that. I try to be one who picks up trash every time I'm out there. It was a uh, yeah, I love doing Father's that as well. My Day daughter... balloon last time <laughs> when I surfed was I thought it was a buoy and I looked out there and I'm like, no, it's one of those darn helium mm. mylar balloons. <laughs> I know. Every time people have weddings in Portugal, they launch about 100 of those balloons. And you just think, uh, wow, that uh, was so wonderful for five minutes. And now what's going to yeah. happen to that? And it's going to just sit right. there. For, anyway. But yeah, and that's a <laughs> whole massive thing. And we can talk about that for hours. But, you know, um, Kristen, you've made such a massive contribution to the sport. What big goals lie ahead for stand-up, for you in stand-up paddling? Yeah, I. that's so funny because who's to say, you know, anyway, very generous compliment. Thank you very much. I'm not good at taking compliments. I don't know that I have, but it's given me so much and I've just so enjoyed. I'm still going to continue racing. Um, I love the connection in that way. Uh, it has been great during these COVID times to have the opportunity that Andre and Allie gave me to um, host things and reconnect with people who are, are different places. And what a great time. Um, for your podcast too, to be able to have the time to listen. But as people get back to work and our whatever our new normal looks like, um, I think I mentioned I want to be. I hope as I get become a old lady, I'm going to paddle as long as I can. But I want to help organize stand up paddleboarding, um, racing specifically. I'm of course the most interested in. But I think there's just so many little things that people don't think about. Um, what we even call our sport. You know, there, I think there are 16 different variations on how to write stand up paddling or stand up paddle boarding, you know, in that's just the English language because of, you know, with stand up one word or two words. I mean, that's such a silly, seems like a silly little thing, but it does affect things. And how do we, how do we bring, um, I mean, there is community so much when you're with the people, but how do we, uh, give this some kind of framework and, uh, the ICF ISA thing is definitely one of those. So helping to organize our sport, um, Women in the sport has always been super important to me too, because it's so exciting that we have a, a water activity that has, for the first time, probably as many women, at least recreationally, as men, if not more, um, women buy. And so, for the first time, there's really a lot of attention. And in racing, we've tried to start it correctly from the fir- from the get go in having a lot of equality in stand up pedal racing. There's still, in most places, uh, less women and men than racing, but that's a whole. I mean we could have a whole conversation just about that because, you know, my generation sport was just being offered in the United States for the first time when I was in high school. So I feel very lucky, but I'm right at the beginning of where women actually felt like they could be in sports and it was okay to be an athlete. And, uh, it's, it's a a cultural thing somewhat, but it's growing, but we've had a great opportunity to start it instead of having to repair it later and try to make it equal. Um, stand-up paddle racing has been, uh, in most places pretty equitable from the start, which I think is fantastic and needs to. Well, it's great news because we've got a good role model in the WSL. Obviously they've got equal prize money for both men and women, which is fantastic. Yeah. And there's their, um, surfing has some things we talked about even in the culture great and some not. It's been very separate. Um, it's great that it's equal now, but um, I love that we are together as community and that um, racing can, um, I love it when I see an event. Uh, I love the destination paddles where it is about Ohana and family and there's youth racing as well as some really competitive stuff. And then a, maybe a fun race or an excursion, or uh, we have races on Lake Tahoe where while the big race is going on, there's a two hour 
nature paddle going on along the coastline where they're explaining, you know, flora and fauna. I just think there's so much potential to um, grow this and keep it equal and um, keep it positive with aloha. <laughs> Exciting times with aloha. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Again, I don't well, mean to. So- um, I hope everybody's safe and healthy, and it is a scary time with a disease, you know, ravaging the earth. But um, hopefully it helps us look at things like um, plastic, like taking care of ourselves and our and our planet. Um, and hopefully it continues to grow, stand up paddleboarding and racing. Great. Well, Kristen, thanks so much. It's been really amazing to hear a slice of life from you over there in <laughs> California. And thanks for your time. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. And you have a great evening, I guess, in Portugal or afternoon. Stay cool. Yeah, Turn I'm that go- fan back on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going paddling, of course. I've got to go paddling now. Good. Which is awesome. Good, good. Great. Thank you for listening to SUP FM, the number one podcast for stand-up paddlers wherever you are. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Until then, we'll see you on the water.